Good morning, fellowship. How's everybody doing? Good. Um, I want to start and begin by just saying what a great joy and privilege it is to be here with you this morning. I uh, can't help but smile as I look around the room. I see a lot of my family uh, who has come in from Memphis, a lot of friends. I uh, got my football boys out there in the back, got my disciples up here in the front, and, and I just see a lot of many new faces. And so uh, it is a great privilege to be here with you this morning. I've been praying for this, been excited about this for the last couple of weeks, and, and my prayer ha- for this morning has been really simple, uh, that every single person here this morning would encounter King Jesus, and that you would leave here knowing how much he really does love you, and that love would then compel you to go out and tell somebody else. Every one of us would encounter Jesus, that we would believe and understand his love for us, and then we would go and tell somebody else about it. It all began in the fall of 2011. This guy right here, his name is Brett Wynn. He was an evangelist. He was on staff with Campus Outreach at the University of Memphis. Uh, He is not here this morning. If he was, he'd kill me for using this picture. Um, Brett, if you end up watching this, I'm sorry. Recently married to his wife, Rachel, he was committed to telling others the good news of Jesus. And it was in the fall of 2011, he listened to the Spirit's prompting to go one Saturday morning to the tailgate of a fraternity, Alpha Tau Omega, and there with a bunch of lost guys in hopes of meeting one to share the gospel with. And there, he actually met me. Um, that was that day. That was me and my friend Shelby. Right after this, I actually met Brett. And I remember that conversation like it was yesterday. He introduced himself to me. And at the end of the conversation, he says, Michael, I'd love to get to know you more. Can I take you out to Lenny's Sub Shop? I'll pay for it. I said, absolutely. I'm down. Uh, had no idea what he was doing. But through that relationship, he introduced to me. What I thought that I knew was the Bible, and over the course of those lunches and many, many times, I was exposed to my sin, and I saw God for who he really was, and I saw who I really was in light of who God was, and that I was in desperate need of a Savior. He shared the good news of the gospel with me. I trusted in Christ. My life has not been the same since. And so what we're going to be looking at in our passage in Acts chapter 8 is we're going to learn of another man. We're going to learn of another man named Philip. Philip was an evangelist. And like Brett, Philip listened to the Holy Spirit. He was obedient to the Great Commission. And what we're about to find out is there too was another man like me whose life was changed. And so if you are able, will you please stand with me as we read together God's word in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. We stand because this God who created the heavens and the earth, the stars and the skies, he breathed it into existence in the exact same way he breathed these words into existence. Us And so let us read together, starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. 
And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through there, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Father, what a great privilege it is to be up here this morning and to speak about you. Father, may I decrease and you increase. Father, would you send your spirit this morning to open up our eyes to see you like we've never seen you before. God, I pray that every single person this morning would encounter you and you would remind them of your love for them and that we would go out and tell others about you. Father, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to give us a little bit of context before we jump into this passage. Here we see in Acts, God sends down his spirit in Acts chapter 2 empowering believers to go and tell others the good news about Jesus. We see that thousands and thousands of people are coming to faith in Christ. The church is growing. In the beginning in Acts chapter 8, there is a great persecution that hits the church of Jerusalem. So the believers are then scattered all throughout Judea and Samaria. And here we meet this man, Philip. Philip is in Samaria, and he is telling others about Christ, and right and left, people are coming to faith in the Lord. We are seeing people be healed. The paralyzed are walking. Lives are being changed. People are rejoicing. The town is going nuts. Ministry is booming. And here we pick up in our passage in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise, go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. He rose and went. Let's pause. Let, let us all put ourselves in the shoes of Philip. You're giving your life away. People are coming to Christ. Paralyzed people are walking and running. Ministry is booming. And God all of a sudden says, hey, bud, I want you to leave, and I want you to go that way towards the desert. It wouldn't make any sense to any of us. I would say no, probably. But what do we learn from Philip? Philip was obedient. We'd probably say, God, you are out of your mind. You don't know what you're doing. But little did we know, do we know, and little did Philip know, that God was doing something. God was orchestrating something. So I've got four points for us this morning, and they all start with the letter P. So you are welcome. Hopefully uh, you can remember them. But in order to have conversations that matter, in order for us to understand this idea of evangelism, we must understand four things. And the first one is this, perspective perspective we must see that God's heart is to see all people be reconciled back to himself we've got to start there we've got to start and see that God has a really big heart and that heart is for all people to be reconciled back to himself you read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation the whole scripture is about one thing God wants to be with his people God wants to be in relationship with his people 1 Timothy 2.4 is referring to God that says he desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, Philip, he had no idea what God was doing. Philip had no idea how big God's heart really was. 
So he said, Philip, I want you to go through the desert. You have no idea what's coming, and I'm not going to give you any more directions. I just want you to go. But underneath all of that, we see God has a big heart to see all people saved. So Philip goes down this desert road. He meets an Ethiopian eunuch. If you don't know what an Ethiopian eunuch is, I didn't, so I had to look it up. Quick note, an Ethiopian, he was a black man from Africa, a eunuch, to put bluntly, is usually defined as a man who had been castrated. So let's think for a second. A black man from Africa, for most of his life, would be considered an outcast. And according to the scriptures in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 23, this man, due to his body, was not allowed to be entered into the assembly of the Lord. He could not be around the people of God. So this was a man who lived the majority of his life believing that God does not love him. He believed that the majority of his life that there is nothing that he could do to enter into the kingdom of God. What is our takeaway? See, God is a pursuing God. And at the moment that this Ethiopian eunuch traveled 1,500 miles to end up getting denied into the assembly of the Lord, at the moment of complete disappointment that God truly does not love me, God sends a guy through the desert to tell him a different story. Sends a guy through the desert to tell him a completely different story. What does that mean for us? Y'all, God is doing something. God is always on the move. God is orchestrating all things to see all people be reconciled back to himself. And so what does that mean for us? We pray and join into what God is already doing. We ask the Spirit, lead us, guide us, lead me to what you're already doing. Prime example, a couple years ago, a lot of the students probably know this story, but every summer we go down to Orlando for a 10-week discipleship program. And I remember me and a group of guys every Sunday morning at 6 a.m. committed to praying for every single country in the world. Every Sunday morning, we got together on our knees, and we're praying for the countries. And one Sunday morning, I get to Saudi Arabia, and I'm just on my knees, and I pray word for word, God, today, would you bring somebody from Saudi Arabia to Orlando, to my hotel, that I can share Jesus with. A couple hours later, be honest, didn't really think much about it, walk out of my hotel, and I see these two guys walking directly in front of my hotel when I walk out. And I'm just staring at them. I'm like, there is no way. And so, of course, I sprint after them, and they're looking at me like I'm crazy, and say, hey, guys, where are you from? Expecting for them to say Saudi Arabia, and they say, we're from Saudi Arabia. And I said, man, what are y'all doing here? And they're like, we're actually here uh, telling people about Allah. What are you doing, Jesus? And I'm like, I'm actually here telling people about Jesus. Uh, you want to talk? And uh, they're like, man, we actually got a busy, busy day today. Uh, if you want, we've got a hotel downtown Orlando. You can come at 11 o'clock tonight if you want said, bet, I'll be there. So 11 o'clock at night, this random hotel, me and Chase sat down with these men at this lobby of this hotel for hours as we discussed Christ. We didn't come to faith in Jesus, but we got to tell them the good news of the gospel. Um, and we gave them a book, great resource, called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And I, and I pray for these men often, and I pray for that book often, that that book right now is being circulated all throughout the 1040 window, Saudi Arabia, Oman. And that people are picking it up and finding Jesus. See, God was already orchestrating something. He brought them to Orlando, and we just prayed, and God's spirit, lead me into what you're already doing. God's perspective, God's heart is that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Secondly, we've got a problem. We've got a problem, and this is sobering, that apart from Christ, people are dead in their sins. 
and they are blind to the good news of the gospel. Apart from Christ, people are dead in their sin and cannot understand nor see the things of Christ. Let's look at it, verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? Church, there's a great need. The eunuch was spiritually blind. He could not understand the things of Christ unless it was taught to him. 2 Corinthians 4.4 In their case, the God of this world, who is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan has literally blinded the eyes of unbelievers so they cannot see nor they can understand the love of Christ. A couple alarming statistics that I have read here recently. 55.3 million people die each year. 151,600 people die every day. 6,316 people die each hour. 105 people die every minute. Which means that every second, somebody dies. Every time I snap my fingers, somebody is dead. And the reality is, and I can only guess, some will go and be with king and glory. But there are also some who will experience the wrath of God for all eternity. Every second. There are people all around us, church, our friends, our family, our neighbors, people in the city of Jonesboro, Jonesboro, people in this country, people all over the world who are dying. Think about that. There are people all around us who are dying without understanding God's love. That there is a rescuer. There is a savior. And his name is Jesus. What does that mean for us? Church, we must go. We must go. If you feel inadequate, join the club. Seriously. If you have no idea what to say, join the club. If you're scared, join the club. The good news of evangelism is we're we're not called to give people ourselves. We're called to give people God. We're called to give people his word, not ourselves. And it's not about us, it's about him. And I promise I love the claim about God's word of Hebrews 4.12. It says, for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What are we called to go and do? Give people God's word. It's the thing that opens up the eyes of the blind. It's the thing that brings dead people to life. We've got to understand the perspective that God's heart is to see all people reconciled back to himself. We've got to understand that there's a problem, that apart from Christ, people are dead in their sin. And they cannot understand the love of Christ. Third, got to understand the plan. I love how God makes it really, really simple for us. Tell people the good news about Jesus. It's really simple. Go and tell people the good news about Jesus. Verse 35. Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. This is the Great Commission. Notice it's the great commission, not the great suggestion. This is a command given to us by God for all believers. If you are in Christ, 
you are called and commanded by God to tell others the good news of Jesus. No one is exempt. We all must go. So what does this mean for us? Two things. First, we must tell people. So Philip told him the good news of Jesus. Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Listen, church. I want to be careful for us not to substitute being nice in place of evangelism. Being nice is an important thing. It's vital. Paying for someone's meal, cleaning someone's yard. These are great things. Opening the door, these are great things, but it's not evangelism. I've never, <laughs> I've never been so nice to people that they've accepted Jesus. The only time I've seen people accept the message of Jesus is when they've heard the message of Jesus. The only way they can hear about Jesus is through Christ. Prime example, uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, my family remember this. Uh, it was late at night. Our hot water heater uh, stopped working. I don't even remember exactly what happened. But light gas and water guy came over. I mean, it was like 11 or something at night. And uh, this black guy, his name was Thomas, came, came in. And I felt the spirit saying, I want you to share with him. I'm like, really? It's like 11 o'clock at night. Light gas and water dude. He, he doesn't want to be here. And so <laughs> I follow him up into the, the attic, and he's working on this hot water heater. And I'm just like, what's your name, man? And uh, he's like, it's Thomas. I'm like, cool, man. Where, where are you from? And, and uh, get in this conversation and didn't really want to talk. And eventually he opened up. He just said, man, I just, things aren't going well in my life. And I was like, man, tell me more. And so he opened up about his family and his kids and all these things. And he gets it all done, and he's walking out. He's walking out the house, and I'm like, man, Thomas, before you leave, I just got to ask you a question, man. Do you understand how much God loves you? And he started tearing up, and I was like, man, yeah, I do. And I shared the gospel with him, and he prayed to receive Christ in my front yard about midnight uh, that night. And I could have said, hey, man, here's, here's 100 bucks for you and your family. Man, I, I'll be praying for you. That's good. That's great. But the man needed the gospel. That's the only thing that saves, and that's the only really good news that we need. We must tell people. What do we tell people? The good news. The gospel translated in the Greek is euangelion. Everybody say it, euangelion. Euangelion means good news. What is the good news? I'm going to tell you something that's really, really simple that you can write down and hopefully refer back to it a lot. What is the good news? God is holy. God is the creator of all things. Everything that you see is created by him. He's absolutely holy. There's no one like him. He's the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And he's good. He's so good that he created us to be in fellowship with him, to know him and to enjoy him all the days of our life. But we could not have failed more miserably than we have. Man is sinful. We've rebelled against our good creator. We worship ourselves and worship this world other than him. Giving God every single right to cast us all away forever. That's the bad news. You can't have good news unless you have bad news. That's the bad news. Continue on with the good news. Christ died for me. Uh, I'm going to recommend a resource, a gospel primer. Uh, if you're in my discipleship group or around me, you know that this is my bread and butter. It is so good. But I want to read to you real quick what Christ has done for me. 
However, what I could not do, God did. And in doing it, he did it all, sending his own son into the world to die on that cross for my sins, thereby showing me unfathomable love. God loved me so much that he was willing to suffer the loss of his son. And even more amazingly, he was willing to allow his son to suffer the loss of him on the cross. Jesus loved me so much that he was willing to lay down his life for me. No one could ever love me more or better than Jesus. And on the third day after Jesus' death, God raised him from the dead, thereby announcing that his death was completely sufficient to atone for every single one of my sins that I have or will commit throughout my lifetime. God then exalted Christ to his own right hand, where Christ now reigns from on high, granting salvation and forgiveness to all who call on him by faith. God is holy. He created us to enjoy him, to know him, to be like him. We failed, y'all. We've fallen short. And we deserve to be cast off. We deserve to experience the wrath of God. But God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Gee, grace, not works. You are saved by grace, not by anything that you do. We're dead in sin. We, we, we provided nothing. God did it all by his grace. Lastly, repentance and faith. Every single one of us is called to respond to the gospel. We respond by, by repentance. That word repent is a military term. It's 180 degree about face, away from sin and to something which is Christ. Repent and trust in what Christ has done for you. I'm going to give you a visual tool. You may be asking, like, how does that actually play out on a one-to-one setting? So I'm about to show you an illustration that I often show on napkins in the cafeteria. Um, I've shown this uh, on the sand, on the beach. I've, I've shown it in many different things. And so I pray that this will be a helpful uh, tool and resource for you. So I sit down with a guy. and say, hey, man, I just, you care if I just show you a diagram real quick? And he's like, yeah, sure, that's great. So, I mean, I want to start with this diagram. Um, let's start at the top with God. He's completely holy. He's perfect. There is none like him. And you've got a ladder. And then you've got the opposite. You've got Satan. There's absolutely none like him either. He is completely evil. And so I say, man, I want you to tell me real quick, who is the, who's the most holy person in your life that you know of? And, and typically, so there, it should be like a order of this. And there's usually it's the grandma. So if any grandmas in the room, that's what I hear the most. So y'all are awesome. It's the grandma. And I was like, man, that's awesome. Well, what about your pastor? And they're like, oh, shoot, well, my pastor, the pastor's my grandma, so he's got to be up there. And I'm like, well, what about Tim Tebow? And they're like, oh, we'll put him there. What about Tom Brady? And you can say whoever you want. And then I'm like, all right, well, where would you put yourself? And they're like, ooh, that's, don't ask me that. But anyways, they usually put themselves somewhere in the middle. And here's the reality, y'all. I'll draw this line right underneath God. And Isaiah 59.2 says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So listen, church, the reality is it's not even on the same ladder with God. He is completely holy, and there's no way that we can be the same at all. Separation. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then people look at this and they compare themselves. Well, at least I'm not bad as Tom Brady, you know. Well, at least, at least I'm not bad as so-and-so. James 2 says, for the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as the person who has broken all of them. For all stand guilty before a perfect and holy God. For all have sinned. So what do we try to do? Two types of people right here on the right with that area. One, 
You may run away from God in shame. Man, there's just no way that I can. When any, anytime I get close to God or the people of God, I just experience shame and guilt and sin. I don't want anything to do with this stuff, so I'm going to run away. And if you're like me, I was the other person for 18 years of my life. I try and do better, right? I'm going to try and climb this ladder. I'm going to try to get to God on my own. I'm going to go to more Bible studies. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to get involved more, all these things. But what ends up happening? You climb and climb and climb and climb and climb, and you never get there, and you end up quitting. That's, that's exactly what I did. So then the, the person that I'm sharing with is eager, like, how do I get there? How do I get to God? If I can't do it on my own, how do I get to him? Praise be to God, the best news in all of history, God came down. God came down the ladder. He came down and he took on flesh. And because he was God, he lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He was perfect in all of his thoughts, attitudes, and actions. And he went to that cross. And he experienced the full wrath of God towards sin. He bore it all. He exhausted the wrath of God. He was pierced. He was crushed, abandoned by his own father, and he died. And he rose again three days later, where right now, as I speak, he's on that throne. Why? And then I asked the guy, why do you think God would do that? Why would God do that, not for friends, but for sinners? That by putting your faith in him, you can be with him again. It goes all the way back to the beginning. God desires all people to be reconciled back to himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. I love this verse. For our sake, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God came down. Can I get an amen? Got to understand the perspective. We got to look at God's heart. He's got a big heart. He desires all people to be reconciled back to himself. We've got to understand that there is a big problem, church. That people are dead in their sin. And Satan has blinded the eyes to where they cannot understand God and his word. God's given us a plan. Us. We are the plan to go and to tell the good news that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. Lastly, this really, this is hard, y'all, trying to find a last P. Um, the propeller joy when you think of a propeller of a boat it's the thing that that gets the boat going what is it that gets us off of our pastures what is it that gets us off of these feet and into the workplace and into the broken homes of the city and into the slums of haiti and to the ends of the earth it's understanding how much god really does love us joy joy is our motivator. Joy is our propeller. Show me a man or woman who shares their faith, and I will show you a man or woman who understands how much they are loved by their dad. Joy. I, I can't wait to go and tell somebody how much my God loves me and how much my God loves you. You want to know about him? Then joy. Verse 39. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Why? I've been welcomed into the kingdom of God. God loves me. My whole life I've believed that I had no part. But God sent a man through the desert to tell me that I matter. I am loved 
by God. What does this mean for us? I know there's probably two types of people in the room, those who have placed their faith in Christ. If that is you, preach the gospel to yourself every single day. Literally this morning, say, God, would you remind me how much you love me? Just tell me, Lord, tell me how much you love me. And so I read my Bible, and it's all throughout it. I love you, Michael. You're mine. I've adopted you. I love you. Preach the gospel to yourself every single day. And let that overflow you. Let that propel you to go and tell somebody else. If you want to grow in evangelism, find somebody who, who does it. And you say, hey, I really need to learn. Can I just go with you? Or if you're really good at evangelism, take somebody with you. Just take them with you. Hey, I'm going to go share with some people. You just want to come with me? Take them with you. Preach the gospel to yourself. Secondly, some of you here this morning, I know, probably have not placed your faith in Christ. Maybe you feel like that Ethiopian eunuch. And you're just disappointed. There's no way that God would love me. I'm just, I'm just too messed up. My whole life, I, I just haven't had it all together, and there's no way that God could love me any better than I am. God sent Philip through the desert to tell this man that he was loved by God. How much more did God send his own son into the world to that cross to let you know this morning that he loves you? He sent a man to the desert, and he sent his son to the cross Respond by repentance and faith. Why do I want to keep doing what I'm doing when God has done this for me? God is good and He wants me. Place your faith in Him and experience joy that you never had before. You've got to look at God's perspective. You've got to see His heart. He desires many people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We've got to understand the problem that apart from Christ, people are dead in their sin. We've got to know the plan. We are the plan. Go tell people the good news of Jesus. And what keeps us going? What's the propeller? Joy. Knowing how much you're loved by our Father. We've got one minute. What would it look like if we were a church who believed that our dad loved us? Like he, he loves us. What is that going to compel us to do? I want to. I cannot imagine what God would do in our midst and in this church. If we were just so overwhelmed with God's love that we went and told as many people as we could. Father, we are so grateful for the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. Like me. Father, we are so undeserving. God, we are so grateful and we are so thankful that you did not give up on us. Like Philip, you sent him to the desert. Like Christ, you sent him into the world to that cross to proclaim a message that you desire a relationship with your people. Father, would you compel us and motivate us for the rest of our lives to go and tell others this good news, God. And I pray that if there's anybody here this morning who does not know you and has not placed their faith in Christ, God, you would save them. Church, amen. Thank y'all so much.